0: Men, you may be seated. Let me make sure. Is this thing on? Can we hear me? We can hear me. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I see a number of you wearing green this morning. I'm not sure if that is for St. Patrick's Day or because Michigan State is playing Michigan this afternoon in the Big Ten Championship game. I imagine in some of your cases it might be a little bit of both. Is that what it is? Oh, yeah. It's a little bit of both for Janet. All right, I am, um, yeah, it's good to see every single one of you here. Um, I appreciate, there, there's a vivacity, there's a life here this morning, and I, uh, I praise God for that. We're in, as we read, Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, uh, looking at verses 7 through 16. Um, has anyone here read Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages? Does anyone know what that is? Anyone? Janet knows. Janet wins points this morning. So Gary Chapman, not to get on a giant tangent about this, uh, if you haven't read his book, I would recommend it. It'll be good for your marriage. It'll be good for your relationships. It's Gary Chapman. He has five love languages. Uh, The five love languages, let me see if I can get this. They are acts of service, words of affirmation, physical touch, quality time, and gifts. I say this because gifts, for me, is right at the bottom. I'm I'm really bad at giving gifts. I'm really bad at receiving gifts. I I appreciate them, but part of me just doesn't understand them. Like SJ will buy me a gift right out of our combined bank account, which it I don't see that as any different than me buying that gift. But she'll buy it and I don't get a say or input on what it is and then she'll wrap it and then she'll put it under the tree and I just I, I don't get it. I just bought myself something that I didn't have, you know, any input in, and then I didn't let myself have it for a while, and I just, kind of the entire concept was was just kind of foreign to me. So I'm, I'm bad at gifts. You may be good at gifts. Uh, my mother-in-law, uh, SJ's, SJ's mother, is actually very good at gifts. That's the love language that she speaks. I, I know that for our anniversary, for my birthday, for Christmas, for, you know, any other special event... She'll get me me a card. She loves buying gifts for people. She's a very generous person. I say that because our topic this morning, the subject of Ephesians 4, is the subject of gifts. In this passage, we're going to look at, and this is kind of our outline this morning, we're going to look at the one who gives us the gifts, We're going to look at the reason for which he gives out gifts, and then we're going to look at the people to whom he gives the gifts. So we're going to be in this passage this morning, we're going to look at three different paragraphs, three different points, that's the sermon, and then we can all go out to lunch or whatever we're going to do this afternoon. Let's start in verse number eight. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. How many people are reading this from a pew Bible and see that it's kind of indented a little bit? Maybe it's in italics. Maybe it's bold, depending on the translation that you're reading. Whatever translation you're reading, they probably indicate that this is a quote from the Old Testament. This isn't something that Paul's making up. He's looking back to an Old Testament psalm. In this case, he's looking back to Psalm 68. And Psalm 68, if we were to flip back there, we're not going to go back there and read the entire thing, but it's a song about the military victories of God, right? It talks about how God has defeated all of his enemies, right? The image is that his enemies are surrounding his sacred mountain, and he defeats these enemies and then goes on top of the mountain to rule and to reign. In the Old Testament, if you read through it, there's kind of a theme that on top of the mountain... It's kind of closer to heaven. That's where the gods lived, right? You might be familiar with Mount Olympus, right? That's where, that's where Zeus and the pantheon of gods lived. That's the same idea. We look back in the Old Testament and God met people on top of mountains. Mount Zion is where the temple was. Mount Sinai is where he came down to, to be with his people and to meet with his people for the first time. And in Psalm 68, it's the picture of God ascending to the top of this mountain. When he ascended on high, according to Ephesians, this is Paul's quote, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. In Psalm 68, the quote is actually, he he took many captives and received gifts from people. Right back in that day, when you defeated an enemy... Sometimes you wiped them out, but sometimes you, you taxed them really heavily. You took tribute from them. You received gifts. And that's the idea here. God receives gifts from all of his enemies. And at the end of the chapter, at the end of Psalm 68, God gives power and strength to his people. So God defeats his enemies. He ascends on high to the mountain to be glorified, to be worshipped. He receives gifts from all of his enemies. He receives tribute from them. And he gives gifts to the ones who follow him. Paul looks back on this and he kind of repurposes this quote a little bit. We've already talked about Jesus ascending on high. If you remember back to previous weeks. Ephesians 1.10, it talks about God's plan right, to bring all things under the headship of Christ. Christ is going to be exalted above everything and everything will be brought underneath him. In the next chapter, in chapter 2, verses 20 through 24, it talks about how God has set Christ once again as head above the church, which he fills with all of his fullness. Christ is the head above all things. And that word head kind of has a double meaning in this passage, right? We have a head right here, right? A cabeza, the thing that thinks in in our, you know, This thing. But head can also mean source. Something that something flows from. Right, So we have Christ who is the head of the body of Christ. And he also is the head of all of these gifts. He is the one who fills all things from his headship. Christ is exalted above all. He is the one who died. He is the one who rose again. But he didn't just rise again. He rose again to be enthroned above everything. And it's from this position Christ descends to the earth in verse number nine. He ascends above all things. And from there, once he has had victory over his enemies, right? These principalities and powers that we've been talking about, angelic and demonic forces, once he is raised above them, he gives gifts. To his people, Just as God in the Old Testament was exalted above everything and received tribute and then kind of redistributed that tribute to his people. Christ gives gifts to his people. In the previous section, we talked about the unity of God's people. Do you remember that in the first six verses of chapter 4? We talked about how we are one family together. And just like as we are, as we are one family together, right? If you have, if you have a family, you love your family, but you don't always get along with your family. But we're supposed to make every effort to be together. We're supposed to be a unity. But we see in this passage that just because we are united, just because we are a unity, that doesn't mean that we are supposed to be a uniformity. It doesn't mean that we are all supposed to be the same. God gives gifts to his people, but he gives a bunch of different gifts to his people. But before we dive into that, let's look at verse number 14 and look at the purpose for which God gives gifts to his people. Verse number 14, then we will no longer be infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. I have talked an awful lot the past few weeks about my newborn son. Uh, a number of you have you know, seen him. He's, he's here this morning giving his amens as I preach. Um, and I talk about him a lot because I love him a lot, and I think he's the cutest thing in the world, and he's pretty great. My son is an infant. He is immature. And it's not that, it's not that he's dumb, right? Like, I can see the ways, and it's really cool to see uh, how the ways in which he's intelligent, the ways in which he learns. His problem isn't that he's dumb. His problem is just that he's inexperienced. Right? He's had about three months of life experience and not really anything more than that. The other, the other week, uh, SJ had just washed her hair and she came out of the bathroom with, with kind of her hair wrapped up in a towel, a big white towel. And when my, son, when my son saw her, like when she walked out, he just looks up at her. Like he's not sure what to think. Like he hadn't seen it before. He doesn't get that, you know, she has a towel on her head. She's still the same person. He's wondering what happened to her hair. And that doesn't mean he's dumb. He's just immature. But over, the, over time, over the years, I look forward to seeing my son grow up into maturity. He's going to learn things. He's going to make some dumb mistakes along the way. But he's going to learn things. And eventually, Lord willing, he's going to become a mature man who's intelligent and not easily swayed by all of these things like towels on heads. He's going to grow up. The way he is right now, he's an infant. And Paul uses a couple illustrations about how these infants are. He says they're tossed back and forth by the waves. I'm imagining most of us have probably been on some kind of boat. But very few of us have been on a ship at sea. Perhaps if you served in the Navy, you've been on a ship at sea. And probably none of us have been on a ship at sea without an engine. But in Paul's day, if you wanted to get around, that's what you did. You hopped on a boat. It was powered by, powered by sails. Maybe if it was a military ship, you would have slaves underneath rowing. But they didn't have engines. right? They couldn't get through a period of doldrums. They couldn't power their, their way through a storm. They were at the mercy of the wind. And if they were sailing and they got caught in the waves, they would, they would be tossed around by the wind and the waves. Because they were under wind power. They were at their mercy. The next picture that Paul uses is maybe one that's a little bit more familiar for us, right? Blown here and there by every wind of teaching. This illustration is, for those of you who remember way back to when, you know, in September, I think, we talked about, when we looked at Psalm 1, we talked about the chaff, right? That they would beat, the wheat, in order to separate the wheat from kind of the outer husky, would beat the wheat and then like toss it up in the air. And the good part would fall down again because it was heavy. There was a weight to it. But the light fluffy stuff would just blow away. right? Think of it like when you, when you rake your yard in the fall or when you don't rake your yard in the fall and there's just a bunch of dead leaves there and when the wind comes and blows, it just blows your leaves, hopefully into your neighbor's yard or across the street, but it blows them away because there's no weight there. There's no substance there. They're just blown about by every wind of doctrine. Paul here urges his people to be built up in maturity so they're not like infants, so they're not easily swayed by every single, by every bit of doctrine. So they're not easily swayed by every TV preacher that comes along or every kind of religious meme that's shared on Facebook. He wants them to be grounded in the word. But it's not just knowledge for knowledge's sake. Let's look at verse number 15, and I really want to focus here if we can. Verse number 15, instead speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Paul wants the Ephesians to grow up in truth and knowledge, but not just truth and knowledge. He wants them to be able to speak the truth in love. Right? If we look at you know, the, the array of churches in this country, we can go to the very liberal fringe of, of the churches that we have in our country, and you can find churches that do very well at speaking in love, but they don't necessarily do a great job at speaking the truth. In some churches, you'll find people who think that if we speak the truth, then that means that we aren't loving so we 're going to kind of brush the truth to the side a little bit we 're going to say, well, you know it's important to believe some things, but we can't really tell people that Jesus is the only way to heaven because that 's not very loving. In an effort to speak the truth in, or to speak in love, they neglect the truth, and that 's not okay. On the other end of things, we have, we'll have very conservative churches that are very good at speaking. The truth, right? They've got their doctrine nailed down. You can go and they'll tell you X, Y, and Z. They've got their confessions. They they dive into them. But in applying that truth, they don't do so in a very loving way. And I know this is a broad brush, and you'll find exceptions to this in different denominations across the country. But just because we have proper doctrine... Just because we have the knowledge that we're supposed to doesn't mean we're okay. We have to apply that knowledge in a loving way. We can't just beat people over the head with it. But we have to be loving as we approach people. It's not one or the other. There's a balance here. We must speak the truth. We must be a people who firmly believe the truth who confess what the Bible believes, even when it's uncomfortable, even when our culture says that we are out of date and wrong on the wrong side of history. We must be a people who speak the truth, but we cannot be a people who neglect love for each other as we attempt to speak the truth. We have to grow up in both of them. As we go as a body of believers, from being an immature infant, and as we are built up as a people and as individuals into someone who is mature, a mature Christian, we have to look at both of these things. When we disciple each other, and I meet with a few of you just to to talk through some of these things. When I meet with you, what do we do? We talk through some knowledge things. We do some learning Look at the Bible, read some theology, learn a little bit, but we don't just do that. We talk about where our hearts are with God. We talk about how we're doing spiritually. It's a head thing and a heart thing. Both of those things are important. So we have the one who gives the gifts. We have the God who ascended on high. Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. He was exalted above all of these principalities and powers, all of these demonic forces. And from there, he gives gifts to people, right? He fills all things. He's there to to bring everything into the unity that it was supposed to be at creation. He's there to fix Adam and Eve's sin. And in doing so, the way he does this is by giving gifts to his people. And the purpose for which he gives gifts to his people is to build us up into maturity. As individuals, as a body, we grow up in knowledge and we grow up in love and we don't look for one at the expense of the other. We look for both of them. But to whom does God give these gifts? What do those gifts look like? Verse number seven, Paul kind of introduces this idea. If you look, actually, verses 8 through 10 are kind of an aside. They're kind of a parenthetical thing. So if we look at verse number 7, it flows really well into verse 11. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Grace has been given. Now, don't let the word grace throw you off. In other contexts, we talk about how God's grace is in salvation, But what is that? It's a free gift to us. God gives us salvation, not because we buy it, but because he loves us. It's grace. It's free. The word there is a similar idea, but instead of being given salvation, we are given gifts in order to build up the body of Christ. Both are free gifts, but Paul Paul makes it clear here that he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about spiritual gifts that he gives to his body to build itself up. To whom does he give this grace? Verse number seven. Who gets these gifts? Is it the extra extra spiritual among us? Is it the member of session, the elders? Is it just for pastors? Who is it? All of us. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Every single one of us, if we are part of the body of Christ, we get gifts from God. In a way, that's part of God's love language. He gives us gifts to build ourselves up. Some of these gifts are described in verse number 11. So Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Who is that in this room? I think there's just two of us, right? I'm a pastor. My wife is a pastor. She's not a pastor here. She's visiting with us from another church while she's on maternity leave. Thank God for her. Side note, she's actually going to be preaching next week, and I'm really excited about that. We're going to be able to be blessed by her. Uh, Anyway, there's only two of us that are pastors. God has given that special gift to only a few people, but that doesn't mean that us pastors are the only ones who are gifted. God gives pastors, why? Verse number 12, why does he give pastors and teachers? It's to equip his people, right? So God gives gifts to everyone, but he gives special equipping gifts to the leaders of the church so that the leaders of the church, the teachers in the church, may help equip all of the believers, may help them work on their gifts, so that the body of Christ may be built up. It's not the job of the pastor alone to build up the body of Christ. That's not something that we get to just pawn off on the leadership of the church and say, hey, it's not my job. That's why we have a pastor. He's going to build up the body of Christ and he's going to make us mature and all of that. That's, that's That's not the image here. It's all of our responsibility to build up the body of Christ. To see our neighbors, to see our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ built up in knowledge and love, that is all of our responsibilities. And God has given us gifts so that we can fulfill that responsibility. And he's given the pastors and the teachers and the evangelists and the prophets, he's given them special equipping gifts to help equip all of the people, so that they can build each other up. You'll notice here that there's not a, there's not a detailed list of the general gifts that God gives his people. There's, there's a list of leadership gifts, of teaching gifts, that God has given to some. But in other passages of scripture, like if you want to look at Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, you can look to see a detailed list of gifts that God has given his people, But any time you compare those gifts, those lists of gifts, you'll find something interesting. They're never the same. You can't find a specific list of gifts that repeats in the Bible. And I I think that tries to tell us something. I think we can learn something from that. You can go online and you can take a spiritual inventory, like a spiritual gifts test. Has anyone done that? SJ has. I've done that too. You can go online and you can just Google spiritual gifts test and you'll have these tests that pop up and they, they say, oh, you have this gift or this gift. I really think that that's approaching it wrong. I do not think that there is a definitive list of gifts that we are given and every single one of us gets two or three of them. Because if we approach it that way, the temptation is to say, oh, God has gifted me in generosity, and he hasn't gifted me in hospitality. So because God has gifted me in generosity and has not gifted me in hospitality, I'm going to be content to give to the church, and I'm going to let other people be hospitable. That's not, that's not my gift. I'm not going to worry about that. Or alternatively, we can say, hey, you know, God has gifted me with hospitality, so I'm going to be really welcoming to people, but I I don't have the gift of generosity, so I'm I'm going to keep my money and let other people be generous. If we think about it like that, if we try to nail down the gifts that we have, then I think we're missing the point. The broader point, I think the better question to ask is, what are the needs of the body of Christ? How can this body of believers that I am a part of, how can my neighbor, my brother and sister, how can I build them up? And maybe that's a a gift that you really have. Maybe you have a brother or sister who is in financial need and God has given you the gift of generosity and you say, hey, I've got money in the bank. I don't have places to spend it. I'm going to give you the money that you need, praise God. Maybe. Your brother and sister is in need of a friend, of being welcomed as family into your home. And just because you don't have the gift of hospitality, maybe you're much better at generosity, that doesn't doesn't get you off the hook for hospitality. If your brother and sister, brother or sister, has need of someone to be hospitable to them, to welcome them as family, then you're you're supposed to welcome them as family into your home and and be hospitable to them and show them the grace of Christ, even if you're not that good at it. The list of spiritual gifts is not an excuse for us to punt things to other people. God has given us gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. Sometimes that's something we're really good at naturally, but other times that's something we need to be equipped to do. That's why God has given us pastors and teachers to equip us to use these gifts. Right? If you have someone who's really talented at a sport, right? say someone's really good at basketball. They, they can shoot. They can dribble. They're tall. They're athletic. They're good at basketball. The fact that they have that talent doesn't mean they, doesn't mean they don't need coaching. right? They do need coaching. Because just because they have talent doesn't mean that 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 talent has been honed. It doesn't mean that they use that talent as they should. And just because God has given us a gift doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to be all that good at using it. We might need to practice the gifts that maybe we're not so good at. We might need to ask the pastor or ask an older spiritual person, someone whom we respect, to help us as we exercise these gifts that we're not as comfortable with. But God has given us gifts so that we can build up his body. It's his way of loving us. So I encourage you, each one of you, look around, look at the needs that are present in this congregation and ask, how can I help? How can I build up the body of Christ how can I make other believers more mature? Maybe that is hospitality. Maybe that is welcoming someone into your home and saying, hey, I don't don't know you very well. Let's get to know each other so we can bless each other. Maybe that means just a simple mentor-mentee relationship. Maybe if you're in here and you're older, you need to find someone who's younger than you and say, hey, I would love to I'd love to meet up with you occasionally, and we can talk about how we can grow in love and we can grow in knowledge. Maybe if you're younger, you need to find someone who's a little bit older than you and say, hey, teach me, what, teach me what you know. You have a lot more life experience than I do. Let me learn from you. But God has given us gifts so that we can build each other up. I don't want us to leave this morning feeling beaten over the head at all. I don't want this message to be a, hey, we all need to use our gifts more and more. Maybe we do. Maybe we're using our gifts as God has intended. But I think above all things, we ought to be encouraged by this. Because if God has given gifts to his people, that means he hasn't abandoned us. If God has blessed Peace Presbyterian Church with gifts, with ways we can help each other grow up in the maturity of Christ, if he has done that, maybe that means God's not done with us yet. God still loves his church. God will still build his church. And try as they might, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. God will build up his church. And one of the ways he'll do that is to give each other gifts so that we can build each other up into spiritual maturity. And What we need to do is pray, how can I be a blessing? How can I build up my brother and sister in Christ? Because God is not done with us. Let's pray.